Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Testy exchanges. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Tuesday. Election Day, November 7. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Donald Trump testified for about four hours in his civil fraud trial. The judge complained the former president wasn't directly answering questions. He remains opposed to a ceasefire, but Israel's prime minister says he'll consider little pauses to let hostages leave or allow aid through. It's Election Day. Here, why many analysts are watching a Northern Virginia state Senate race for clues about next year's presidential race. And reasons your lawnmower may be electric, but your car is not. It goes back to my practicality curve. And when I calculated this for myself, I'm a big fan of the technology. So it's not like I'm sitting here saying, oh, I know, you know, it, I, I'm not a tree hug or anything like that. But, it, but for me, an electric vehicle fails the practicality test. It falls too far above what I call my practicality curve. Rick Newman at Yahoo Finance on why electric vehicles remain a tough sell. Fighting a civil fraud lawsuit that threatens his business, former President Trump testified in a New York courtroom yesterday calling his trial a scam and a disgrace. Over roughly four hours on the witness stand, Mr. Trump often avoided direct answers, instead bragging about his properties and his wealth. He accused New York Attorney General Letitia James, an elected Democrat, of targeting him to further her political career and accused New York Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron of lowballing the value of his properties. Mr. Trump outside the courtroom. This is a case that should have never been brought, and it's a case that now should be dismissed. Ms. James, the state attorney general. He rambled. He hurled insults, um, but we expected that. The judge complained during the morning session that Mr. Trump gave broad, opinionated answers that didn't respond to the questions of government lawyers. At one point, he told the Trump attorney, quote, I beseech you to control him if you can, referring to Mr. Trump. Overseas now, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel would consider tactical little pauses in fighting in the Gaza Strip to let hostages leave or aid get through, but not a ceasefire. I think it will hamper the war effort. It'll hamper our effort to get our hostages out because the only thing that works on these criminals in Hamas is the military pressure that we're exerting. American Secretary of State Antony Blinken. When it comes to humanitarian pauses, we're engaged with the Israelis on the particular practicalities of that. One critical aspect, though, is seeing progress on uh, on hostages. That's something we're uh, intensely focused on. But we also believe that a, a pause could help uh, advance that proposition as well. Also, Mr. Netanyahu says Israel planned to assume indefinite responsibility for Gaza's security, pushing back against President Biden's comments that Israel would make a mistake if it chose to occupy Gaza. On the battlefield, Israel's military says the focus is on destroying Hamas's tunnels, some of which are near civilian structures, such as hospitals and schools. A first negotiating point has been floated by a handful of Senate Republicans as a condition for supporting President Biden's $106 billion request for supplemental funding for Israel and Ukraine. We get more from this morning's Mike Gavin. A group that includes Lindsey Graham of South Carolina wants to crack down on asylum claims at the southern border to get behind the White House request. They're also demanding the end of an immigration tool that allows migrants to make appointments to enter at a legal point of entry. It's the opening bid in negotiations with Senate Democrats and the White House, which has signaled some openness to immigration policy changes. 
Biden's request included money for border operations, but didn't include any policy changes. Gordon. Thank you, Mike. The GOP-controlled House passed its own bill last week that provides $14.3 billion for Israel, but leaves out funding for Ukraine, Taiwan, and other parts of the Biden proposal. Senate Democrats have called the House GOP proposal dead on arrival. Dell's Black Friday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Tuesday for clues about the strength of both parties' messages heading into 2024. Look no further than suburban Northern Virginia, where Democrats and Republicans are betting big on a hotly contested state Senate race as voters go to the polls today. Here's Scott Calvert, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Scott, explain. You know, Virginia's interesting because they do these odd year elections, and so they are um, looked at, you know, nationally as sort of a sign of what what might be coming in the, the following year. So obviously we've got a presidential election coming up, you know, next year, right? And in the case of Virginia, the entire state legislature, all of the all 140 seats, 100 in the House and 40 in the Senate, are on the ballot uh, t- uh, on uh, election day, and. Um, and what's interesting about, about Virginia is that you've got the Republicans control the House narrowly, the Democrats control the Senate narrowly, and then you've got uh, a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, in the governor's office. So the stakes are really high, and, um, and essentially, you know, the dynamic is this. You've got the Republicans really pushing to keep the House and get the Senate, in which case Governor Youngkin and Republicans can, um, you know, push through a lot of policies that the Democrats have up to now been able to block because of their narrow majority in the state Senate. And there are a handful of really competitive Senate races in Virginia. And one is the race that I went to take a closer look at in Northern Virginia, which is seen as critical. Basically, you know, both parties see it as a real critical seat for them to win. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to take a closer look at. And in that race, you've got a, a Democrat named Rossett Perry. She's a former CIA officer and prosecutor. And she's up against Juan Pablo Segura, who is an entrepreneur, and and neither one of them is the incumbent. You know, they did some redistricting, and so essentially it's an open seat, and they are both running hard for it, and wow. it is expensive. They have raised collectively more than $11 million um, for, for that for that seat. Wow. All right, so the the campaign issues and or messaging here that many experts are watching for clues about next year are what? Yeah, well, abortion is a really big one, and and that's because, um, you know, Governor Yunkin and the Republicans have been supporting uh, a 15-week limit with exceptions for rape, incest, or to save the mother's life. That's not nearly as restrictive as what you've seen a lot of other states in the South do, but it is more restrictive than, than current Virginia law, which generally allows abortion up to 26 weeks, um, and thereafter only to to save the you know the life of the mother if the if the mother's health is in serious jeopardy and um, and so that's sort of the that's the fight and you have Democrats like Russell Perry saying the current law should remain as it is and then you've got um, Republicans saying no we think this is sort of a compassionate you know uh, 
uh, consensus is sort of how they frame it as a reasonable restriction that, again, doesn't go anywhere near as far as some other states have, have gone. And, and that's really sort of where the fight is. And so people are watching to see how Democrats do, because that could be an indication of how um, potent abortion remains as an issue nationally. And there are, there's, there are certainly been other, other con- races around the country where, where we've seen this, and there's that, that initiative in, in Ohio that will be mm. looked at. But yes, in, in the context of Virginia, abortion is definitely very much something that is being, is being closely watched. We're speaking with Scott Calvert, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. His story is called Why a 2023 Virginia Election is a Proving Ground for 2024. So explain that tie-in, by the way. Why, why does northern Virginia or, or parts of Virginia seem to be some sort of bellwether? Well, Virginia, you know, it's interesting because it's been a state that Democrats have done well at the presidential level. But, you know, you've got a Republican governor. He, he won in 2021. Uh, a year before that, you had a Democratic presidential uh, candidate, Joe Biden, win by, by 10 points. And so there's a, there's a purplish uh, element to, to Virginia politically. And the suburbs are where these fights are happening. You know, in sort of the rural areas, pretty red. In some of the more urban areas, pretty blue. And so, as in many parts of the country, where the battles are really being fought are in, in the suburbs. And this district I went to is a very suburban area. Wow. What does polling say about which way the race is going at this point? You know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be pretty tight. And I'm not, I, I haven't seen any polling for, like, for instance, that district that I went to. Okay. But when you, talk to some of the, when you talk to some of the analysts who are studying this very closely, um, some of them have told me they think that Democrats have an edge. And, they, and, and I was talking to one who said, you know, the Democrats might keep the Senate and also pick up the House, um, in which case you've got a Democratic-led legislature with a Republican governor. And, you know, that would obviously be bad news for, for Youngkin, good news for Democrats. And it would be a recipe essentially for, for, for gridlock in the sense that not a lot would, you know, would, would, would make it through uh, down there in Richmond. Thanks, Scott. Scott Calvert, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel pushed further into Gaza City, sending troops into an urban Hamas stronghold that is still packed with civilians after one of the most intense bombing barrages of the months-long war. An Israeli military spokesman said forces are continuing to deepen the pressure into the depths of Gaza City. On ABC, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu defended Israel's actions. There is no way to defeat terrorists embedded in a civilian population without going as, in a, as targeted a way as you can against the terrorists. But there will be, unfortunately, these civilian casualties. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is planning a $320 million transfer of precision bombs for Israel as President Biden and senior officials continue to press Israel to do more to protect civilians. Number two. Former President Trump offered a defiant defense of his business empire in sworn testimony Monday, trading jabs during his civil fraud trial with a New York judge who repeatedly rebuked him for veering off on tangents. Trump underwent about four hours of questioning about his financial statements and charges. He overstated his worth. He spoke outside court. I think you saw what I had to say today, and it was very conclusive. Everything we did was absolutely right. Trump repeatedly defended his estimation of his wealth, saying he had very little debt, a lot of cash, and the ability to look at buildings and know how much they are worth. Number three. A scuba dive boat captain has been convicted of criminal negligence in the deaths of 34 people killed in a fire aboard the vessel in 2019, the deadliest maritime disaster in recent U.S. history. 69-year-old Jerry Boylan was found guilty of one count of neglect of ship officer following a 10-day trial in federal court in Los Angeles. 
The charge is a pre-Civil War statute designed to hold steamboat captains and crew responsible for maritime disasters. Boylan could get 10 years behind bars when he's sentenced in February. The $2 bill has been around since the 18th century, but it's not a currency that used very much. Today, if you happen to have the right $2 bill, it might fetch you big bucks. U.S. Currency Auction says $2 bills from 1890 could be worth $4,500, and even some newer bills are worth a lot. A $2 bill released in 2003 sold at auction for $2,400 because it had a very low serial number. Whoa. All right. Thank you, Jen. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle-Made bed sheets. Miracle-Made uses silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle-Made is self-cleaning, self-cooling, luxurious, eco-friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for joining us. A new survey by iSolved finds more than half of full-time U.S. workers say they'll explore other job options this year, an 11% increase from last year. What's that mean for managers? Here's Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the Job. Julie, your take on this. There's a survey that says that 58% of full-time U.S. workers say they'll explore other options um, in 2023 going into 2024. And those numbers... We look at those numbers and we say, well, that's high. I mean, we could be having a recession. We got an election coming up. I mean, there's just all kinds of uncertainty. The price of cost of living is going up. What the heck's going on here? And it's it's typical. It has been typical to look at a number that's pretty high and say, gosh, people must be really unhappy. But I, I think that and given all the other factors that go into that are that are at play in the workforce today, this is probably our new normal. Now, will will fifty eight percent of people change jobs? No, but what it means is they will consider other options. They might some more aggressively than others, okay. and of course, not all of them will quit. But making sure that you are you are staying vigilant about your next opportunity or a better opportunity is the new normal. And we know when we look at the younger generations, they're not afraid to change direction or change jobs. And we look at that and say, you know, slow down here. You're doing it too often. Mm. That will normalize. But people constantly being, people constantly having their head up and thinking about their next option and not assuming it's going to be at their current uh, workplace is normal and I would argue healthy. Let me ask you something about disgruntled employees based on your experience. Are the ones that either we identify as that or they self-identify as disgruntled, are they chronic or could it just be like a moment in time? 
you know, there's, there's going to be a handful of them that are absolutely chronic. We know those people, the people that it doesn't matter, you know, is that, is that you know, you could be handing out $100 bills and they'd complain about whose picture's on it. I mean, we all know, you know, we all know those people. So the, yeah, there are those people, but I do believe there's also a lot of people who just are in the wrong job. And that is typically when I have all the surveying and talking to people I've done over the last couple decades, it usually is a matter of a bad leader relationship, a bad manager relationship, which then really poisons their whole experience. And that is, so when you look at what causes people to be happy or unhappy at work, your leader and your relationship with your leader is without a doubt, not only the cause of most people's stress and anger, but on the other side of the coin, it's also what makes them um, unwilling to leave because they know how valuable that can be. Mm, okay. So you know, there's plenty that companies can do, but they still aren't getting it, which is very frustrating. Thanks, Julie. Julie Bauke, career strategist known as Julie on the job. Aging is a journey that can gather some unwanted passengers, namely those senescent or zombie cells. Hi, it's Gordon Deal, and I used to feel that sluggish middle-aged mood, those aches after workouts. I could practically feel those old cells just taking up space, bogging me down. Then I found Qualia Senolytic. Think of it as giving your body a little spring cleaning, pruning away the worn-out cells, and letting the lively ones shine. And you only take it two days a month. Crafted with vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO ingredients. Plus, with a 100-day money-back guarantee, you've got a risk-free journey to rejuvenation. Resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Gordon for up to $100 off and use code Gordon at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash Gordon for an extra 15% off. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's show. Neurohacker.com slash Gordon. Blocking out the noise and bringing you the facts. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Tuesday, November 7. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Kashenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Israel says it's open to little pauses in Gaza fighting to allow hostages out or aid in. Trump takes the stand in his New York civil fraud trial. Senate Republicans begin negotiating aid to Ukraine. It's election day for off-year races. The five candidates that qualified for tomorrow's Republican presidential debate, DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, Christie, and Scott, chargers over the Jets in Monday Night Football, and the woman with a medical emergency who lucked out at a closed firehouse. That story in about 20 minutes. Do you love electric vehicle technology but cringe at the practicality? You're not alone. Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance, explains why he's on board with battery-operated tools, but not vehicles. Rick, set this up. All of my uh, lawn tools and even other tools like my like my snow thrower are now battery-powered um, electric. You charge the battery, and then it's an electric without a cord. Uh, my lawnmower, all my trimmers and stuff like that. Um, and honestly, they, they work fantastic. I mean, they, they, they're super. The cost has come down over time. The batteries last long enough to get through a, uh, a smallish or moderately sized yard such as mine. And they're actually more convenient than the old uh, gasoline-powered stuff I used to use because there's no fuel. Uh, you never have to go to the gas station or have gasoline sitting around in your garage. And also, 
um, there, there's really no maintenance. You, you don't have to change the oil. You don't have to winterize the machines. You don't have to do anything because it's a, it's a, it's a contained motor um, that really requires no maintenance. I mean, you use these basically the same as you use a vacuum cleaner. You get it out, you turn it on, and you put it away, and then you forget about it. Um, so those all work great. Uh, now there's obviously a lot of talk about electric cars, and the reason that I wanted to write about this was um, we're now seeing a bit of a reversal in the what looked like the very rapid adoption of electric cars in the marketplace. Uh, sales now see, seem to be uh, sort of topping out. Um, they went from almost zero uh, percent. I mean, they were literally zero percent of new car sales, uh, you know, a few years back. And now they rose rapidly to about eight percent. Now that oh, that is starting to seem like a ceiling, and the the companies uh, making these cars. Uh, General Motors, Ford, they're they're cutting back their EV plans a little bit. Do you have um, a theory? Do you have a theory as to why that the yeah. demand seems to have slowed down? because yeah, we're supposed to be all in, at least according to the president. Yeah, it goes back to my practicality curve. And when I calculated this for myself, I'm a big fan of the technology. So it's not like I'm sitting here saying, oh, I know, you know, it, I, I'm not a tree hug or anything like that. But, it, but for me, an electric vehicle fails the practicality test. It falls too far above what I call my practicality curve, and it falls too far above that for two reasons. Um, they don't go far enough on a single charge, and charging stations are still too hard to find. And uh, it stands to reason that many people who are considering an EV run into the same problem. And th- this is not new. I mean, this is a, this is a known drawback of the technology, and it has gotten better, and it will get better still. But it, it is still an issue. Um, so if you are somebody who owns just one car, such as myself, um, and you go on road trips, you really, uh, I mean, an EV is just really not for you because uh, you're going you're gonna to have to find, you're going to have to find a charger. You're going to have to spend uh, an hour or more charging. That's assuming uh, you're first in line when you get there. Um, and it's, it's just impractical for people who do road trips, especially people who might do road trips to remote areas, such yeah. as I do when I go skiing in Vermont, for example. Yeah. So, again, I love the technology, but I think we're finally hitting a point where we have to be realistic about adoption rates. And, you know, President Biden wants um, electric vehicles to be uh, 50%, yeah. 5-0% of all new car sales by 2030. And based on what's happening, it doesn't seem like there's any chance we're going to get there. We're speaking with Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. His piece is called Why My Lawnmower is Electric But My Car Is Not. What would ultimately sell you? What would what would make you say, you know what, I'm in now for electric vehicles? Uh, more range and uh, easier refueling, easier and faster refueling. Uh, and I would point out that um, electric vehicles do have many of the advantages of uh, the electric uh, yard machines or uh, home machines that I have in my garage. There is less maintenance. I mean, there, it's not zero maintenance on electric vehicles, but it's less maintenance. Um, most of the time, you charge it at home, so you never have to deal with a gas station. Uh, and if, uh, if you charge overnight, it tends to be cheaper. So we got to get those two deal breakers resolved. Uh, one, you know, again, more range. Or if you can't get the range up for a reasonable cost, um, we need to get to the point where refueling is quick and you can take it for granted the way you can basically take for granted that you're going to find a gasoline station almost anywhere in the country. We're, we're getting there, um, but I don't think we're getting there fast enough to hit that target that President Biden wants, which is 
50% of all new vehicle sales by 2030. Thanks, Rick. Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, we're deep in the heart of Thanksgiving season, a time of the year when we seemingly can't get enough of the foods we don't eat at any other time of the year. As such, Baskin Robbins has decided to start incorporating Thanksgiving tastes into a new ice cream flavor, and this one was made just for you, Gordon Deal. The name of the flavor is Turkey Day Fixins, but won't actually contain any turkey flavors. Instead, customers will be able to sample honey cornbread, spiced sweet potato, and ocean spray cranberry all in one bite. As well as this new seasonal ice cream flavor, Baskin-Robbins has also announced they'll be bringing back the much-loved turkey cake. In other Gordon Deal food news, Heinz is getting ready to release a pickle-flavored ketchup scheduled to make its nationwide debut in 2024. Got a, quite a lot to unpack here. Seems very efficient. Pickle-flavored ketchup seems very efficient. Like, just take some ketchup, throw it's some like a, pickle juice in, and, uh, and and you're good to go. Yeah, it's like a two-for-one. Well, I don't need to grab the pickles right. and the ketchup. I yeah. just have just one condiment to grab. It's the pickle-flavored ketchup. Yeah, look, that's, that's that, that pickle jar is way in the back of the fridge yep. sometimes. Yep. It's hard to get back there. Sometimes you just need to take care of it all at once. And you got to make sure you got the right pickles. Uh, well, sure, yeah. And it'd be, you, you can't necessarily have... I, I I don't know. I didn't name a pickle. I, I I'm, I'm all about like <laughs> yeah. the the garlic, like the half. Oh, okay. Uh, those those yeah. the spears or whatever is good for me. You get fancy with your pickles, then. I'm just like a kosher dill kind of guy. <sighs> well, the the other ones like the sweet ones, right? Are the sweet butter ones yeah, or something no, like that? Never. I, they never. don't apply to all sandwiches, I guess. They is, don't apply to anything, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I never. love pickles, oh. but don't get those sweet pickles away from me. Okay. <laughs> Sour pickles only. Thank you. And back to Baskin Robbins. Uh, yes. Which has the, uh, the this flavoring of ice cream now, which is the cornbread. Swipe, uh, spiced sweet potato and ocean spray cranberry. Mm-hmm. If you swap out the spiced sweet potato for mm-hmm. stuffing, yeah. I so agree. the flavor of the ice cream is now stuffing cornbread and cranberry. Yeah, I'm in. Perhaps they think the cornbread and stuffing is a bit of an overlap. That's okay. that's, that's my guess. Okay, you know when they're sitting there in the lab putting this together. Wow, that's, that's very that's, good. That's, Mike. that's possibly what they thought. That's they thought deep. They might, maybe they were too similar to each other. But I agree with you. I'm not a sweet potato person, so uh, get rid of that. Too starchy. That would have been a too starchy a combo for you yeah. to go with cornbread <laughs> and stuffing in the same flavor. Yeah, in okay. your in your ice cream. Uh. Yeah, and uh, it took four years, but the people who stole a gold toilet bowl have finally been found. Four men have been charged over the theft of an 18-carat golden toilet from a palace in southern England where it was being kept as an art exhibit before being stolen in an early morning heist in 2019. The fully functioning toilet, valued at nearly $6 million, was part of an exhibition by an Italian conceptual artist at Blenheim Palace, which is a major tourist attraction. Police had said at the time of the theft that Burglars broke into the palace with two vehicles and took the toilet sometime before 5 a.m. It was not immediately clear if the toilet, named America, had ever been recovered or has been recovered. The palace said in 2019 that it was saddened by the loss of the toilet, which has also been on display previously at New York's Guggenheim Museum. So they they got the guys, they think, yeah, but not the merch. I mean, there are only so many places you can hide a big golden toilet, yeah. right? You would think that mm-hmm. would be an easy one to as things as stuff that gets stolen goes right. this would be an easy one to find yeah wouldn't that be heavy i mean that, there's so that, many places you could store yeah. a gold toilet they brought two trucks apparently yeah. to, 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 to <laughs> cart off this golden toilet just smells like inside job all yeah, over the gold, place doesn't go, it gold is really heavy so yeah, uh, yeah like you said that'd be a tough one to hide and uh, keeps it keep hidden from everybody else <laughs> thank you mike 
Dell's Black Friday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for being with us. Stress, often considered a mental or emotional response, can have surprising and far-reaching effects on the entire body. Cortisol, the primary stress hormone, alters the way the immune system reacts and obstructs the proper functioning of the digestive, reproductive, and growth-related systems. Fox News says stress can trigger stomach discomfort and indigestion to conditions such as irritable bowel syndrome. Stress can also interfere with your eating patterns like overeating or undereating, which can contribute to fluctuations in body weight. Stress can exacerbate conditions like acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Additionally, it can trigger allergic reactions, leading to hives. Exercise stands out as the most effective way to mitigate stress and lower cortisol levels. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Several states are participating today in elections that will determine the next governor in two states and provide insight into how abortion rights are shaping politics. Voters in Kentucky are deciding whether to give a second term to Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat running in a heavily Republican state. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election against a cousin of rock and roll legend Elvis Presley. Ohio voters will decide on a constitutional amendment supported by abortion rights groups. And both Democrats and Republicans have campaigned for control of Virginia's legislature by arguing the other party is wrong on abortion. In Houston, 17 candidates are vying to replace term-limited Mayor Sylvester Turner. Number two. The Supreme Court today will take up a challenge to a federal law that prohibits people from having guns if they are under a court order to stay away from their spouse, partner, or other family members. The justices will hear arguments in their first case about guns since last year's decision that called into question numerous gun control laws. Number three. A group of Senate Republicans are demanding a crackdown on asylum claims at the southern border and other policy changes as a condition for backing President Biden's $106 billion request for supplemental funding for Israel and Ukraine. The first move in what's expected to be an intense battle over approving the package. The proposal, put forward by Republican senators including James Langford of Oklahoma, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and Tom Cotton of Arkansas, represents the opening bid in negotiations with Senate Democrats in the White House, which has signaled some openness to immigration policy changes. SAG-AFTRA actors aren't totally on board with Hollywood Studios' latest labor agreement pitch, The Actors Union said there were still several essential items that they couldn't agree with during their negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, including artificial intelligence guidelines. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sandero says studios put forth a last best and final offer over the weekend. We're in the business of telling stories, and we gotta, we, that's what we want to do every day. So it's, it has grind to a halt for a few months, and um, so we'll, we're, we're going to try our best to get things up and running and uh, get the output back up for, for our fans, too. SAG after a spent Sunday and Monday evaluating the deal. It's unclear if talks are ongoing. Mm. All right. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for being with us. Sherry Kyles is convinced a suburban Milwaukee fire chief saved her life. Ms. Kyles described having a rapid heartbeat and lightheadedness that wouldn't go away, so she headed for the hospital. 
But CBS 58 TV says her condition only got worse, so she pulled into Station 3. She had no idea the firehouse was closed for remodeling. At first, she parked outside and began honking her horn, but when nobody came out, she went inside yelling for help. Battalion Chief Kurt Harthen and another firefighter were doing paperwork when they heard and then found Ms. Kyles. They found her heart rate was dangerously high. Turns out she had SVT, a condition where the heart is beating so fast it fails to get oxygenated blood out to the body. The firefighters administered IV treatment, which lowered her heart rate until paramedics arrived. Ms. Kyles and Chief Harthen had a happy mini reunion yesterday on the back of the same fire truck where she was treated nine days earlier. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.